Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Rolling with Disadvantage, the D&D podcast where we won't be playing D&D. As always, I'm your host, Tyler. And I am your stereotypical co-host, Till. Stereotypical white guy. If you're new to the show... Oh, now people know. It's our podcast where we argue, debate, and scream into the void. Scream! About various aspects of D&D 5th edition. Feel free to join the conversation by tweeting us at RWD Podcast. I gotta say, the um, void, uh, you know, when this comes out, could be a lot darker. Could could be a lot worse. A lot of yeah. things going on these days. And uh, yeah. when this drops, it could be a really fucking sucky void. I'm telling you that right now. Join the drop date on this, the 7th? Yeah. Yeah, the 7th? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, uh, you know, your your job, they've said you're probably going back into the office. Probably. And my job has said you're not going back in the office for any time in, in the building for any time soon. So I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky. Um but I really I really feel for the people who um the who are gonna be exposed, you know. I uh, I feel a bad for those who have had to go to work. You know, as this has been going, and you know, yeah. before there was really much recognition for it, and uh, you know, I feel even worse for those that don't have work. You know, it's a shitty, 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 shitty timeline right now. Yeah, and I, I think there's there's going to be a lot of, you know, so it was it was it was last week, um, when the the whole discussion of things are going to open. I think Texas, in state of Texas, the Alamo Draft House said. Okay, cool. We're not gonna open though. Um, like the movie theater. There's tons of there's tons of places that are that are like that. Yeah, like there's a lot of places that are are looking at it and going, okay, this isn't worth it to open still. And I really hope that you know there's a lot of responsibility taken as we start to reopen stuff. Because if you're a restaurant, right, and they finally say you can open, you're like, come on, everybody, let's let's come on, and all your workers come in. Either two things are gonna happen, right? Either no one's gonna show up. Mm-hmm. Which then no, why'd you open? Or everybody's gonna show up and it's just gonna be awful. Suddenly there's suddenly there's new yeah. and deadly diseases all over the place. Yeah. Anyways, this is this is our coronavirus podcast. Welcome everybody. I'm sure there's already twenty of those. We missed the mark. Oh, for there's literally NPR made a coronavirus podcast. Like, relate to that one. It's not what there's no oh, money we're on in podcasting time for this one. Well, this one's you know old. S- this is old, and D&D we, old. we get so fucking specific with our topics that, I mean, who else is doing this? Um, it's probably like one other person. Well, but I don't know them. The benefit of this being old is that stereotypes exist. 100% they do. See what I did there? Do you see what I did there? I, hey, I, hey, segway, I, I, I segwayed this. back. Yes. So, yes, first thing we're talking about today... Um, uh, Stereotypes and expectations as a PC. Is it better to lean into classic tropes or to buck tradition? This is something we've talked something similar like this in the past. Yes. And that is um role playing against type, right? Yes. But you're talking about really the benefits of role playing into type. Yes, very specifically. Um in the time that I've had, you know, in isolation, uh I have uh, what I think I'm two episodes from having rewatched Critical Role season one for the fourth time. Jesus. Um, and honestly, like, I I know what's gonna happen 
I, I actually Vecna. know some of the lines. Oh, spoiler alert, Vecna. Yeah. But it's still funny. Like, and it's still captivating and it's still engaging and it's still wonderful to watch. And I've tried rewatching season two, and there are times that it's like that. But for the most part, it doesn't feel like it has that same magic. And I've and we've talked about it and I've and I've thought about it for a long time. And I really think it's just because it's so much easier for not only the cast of the show to play their characters from season one, but it's so much easier for everyone else to identify and feel for those characters. And that's because they are playing stereotypical D&D characters. Half-elf rogue, half-elf ranger, half-elf druid, gnome bard, goliath barbarian. Gnome cleric's probably the weirdest one out there. And then the yeah, human fighter. Yeah, I would I would say the gnome cleric is but even that the makes unusual sense. Yeah, but even but then in their roles, they are all the stereotypical role. The yes. edgy rogue, the smash things barbarian, the the jokester bard, the, the mm-hmm. she's the kind of humble and calm pal- cleric to heal people. They all they all really were the, the, the memes that we make fruit. fun of. Yeah, they are the memes that we make fun of, but at the same time, there's that comfort and familiarity with it. So, I and I've noticed that in our campaigns that we play in, both with, that I play with you guys and elsewhere, I feel like sometimes it's very hard for a person to get in the mindset of a character that isn't what they're used to or what is expected. Well, that's why some people in our party are only ever barbarians and fighters. <laughs> Maybe a paladin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a boat. Maybe hey, hey, new class nice. boat, boat. It's like goat, greatest of all time. Boat, barbarian of all time. Oh, <gasps> he's the boat. Oh my god, he's, <laughs> he's gonna love boat. that. He's the, he's the boat. Um, yeah. Well, I just because you're right in your party as a person, you have a comfort zone, and we advocate for getting out of that comfort zone from a creative perspective, mm-hmm. but from a play perspective, comfort zone could be a good thing so and i think there's two angles to this one is for the person that's actually playing it and to trying this game requires a lot of imagination and trying to find creative and unique ways to portray a character that doesn't really have a form or any kind of visual aspect to it aside from maybe a token or a mini it's difficult. It's really difficult to put that forward to get the the body language and the nuance, you know, the eyebrow raising and such. You know, these things are very difficult when you're not actually physically being that person. Yeah. And secondly, it's hard for people to interact with you if they don't know what to expect. I'm even going to say it's even harder playing digitally now. We're playing remotely still. Oh, my God. Yeah. As the DM, I, I'm sitting here. I'm so much less inclined to, like, put on airs as I do normally. I think you can all understand, like, and, and Taven has remarked on this, I kind of physically act a mm-hmm. lot of stuff out when we play in person. Like, if you stab somebody they die, I am often, like, pretend stabbing myself and falling over. I'm barely doing anything sitting here. When we were playing live, I had costume changes and props and yeah. such. I, I, haven't, I haven't even looked at those boxes in yeah. months. So, I, obviously, remotely, this is hard, but in person, it can be hard for some people. So, I would agree that the the comfort is there. Um, I kind of question where that comfort comes from, though. I think it's a lot of just what 
you grew up with, the games you played growing up. Yeah. If you think about it, any kind of game that was made, you know, in our lifetime, everything's been pretty stereotypical. You know, look at Gauntlet Legends, a classic that people definitely played back in the day. Look at Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's 2, Gate. any of the expansions. All of Dark the Alliance. Dark Alliance, yeah. Um, Neverwinter. Neverwinter's popular. Uh, Diablo. Ooh, you know. Diablo, great game. Double, yeah. Diablo 2, best oh, game. Diablo 2, best game. Yes. But all of the things that are in those games, all of the classes and the characters and the people that you interact with and play, Dragon Age, any of those, they're all stereotypes. They're all very stereotypical. I don't think, I, I cannot think of a great example of a character, a main character from any of those games that messed with tradition. Well, even in the most recent Dragon Age Inquisition, mm -hmm. when you like you know, you pick up party members as you go, it's usually the ones who are the stereotypical race class combos that make the best party members. Like yeah. the people who are outside the expected, they're usually like not optimized, so you don't play with them, so they're they're not around that often, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um or even in a game like Kotor, when you could be Jedi and shit. Only certain people could be Jedi, and it, it, it kind of fed into stereotypes. So you had an expectation. So, yeah, I would agree. There's an expectation, even in movies and books and all these things, that make it easier to occupy the role. Yes. My my issue with this notion of these roles and the, and the whole comfort part of it is, sure, it's easier for you, but your other point is it's easier for other people, and I wonder if that's true. Do you I think that like, really? I, I do. I, well, sometimes. I think it depends on the person. Um, like somebody that puts forth a lot of time in getting to know the members of their party, they may enjoy the thrill of discovering an exotic creation, a, a you know, gnomish barbarian. You know, what makes this character a, well, how did this happen? Where where did this come from? You know, they right. may enjoy learning that. But somebody that just plays the game casually probably doesn't really care. Yeah, they they probably don't care. That's a really great point. And they're, it's, they're more likely to succeed in a role-playing effort if that's not the part of the conversation they're having. Yes, if it's just, I'm trying to anticipate what this person is going to say and how I can then respond to it in a PC, PC, NPC conversation. Like if there's two of us negotiating a price and I know that the tiefling warlock is going to try to use some sort of charm to get this person to do what they want. And if that fails, me as the you know uh, bard can use my persuasion to try and talk them down from getting mad at us. That's easier to deal with. Whereas if I'm sitting there trying to just blindly guess at what you can do and what you're going to do because I don't really know your character or, or your interests, that makes things harder. I like and, to always, always in this sorts of conversation, offer up the movie The Breakfast Club as an analog for this kind of thing because that movie was entirely about the shorthand of stereotypes and expectations. Because mm -hmm. you can look at people and go, oh, okay, I know, I know how you're going to behave. Even if they discover they're wrong, like, right? They, they were doing that. They were shorthanding. So I talk about, uh, I bring up the part where you think it's easier for other people to shorthand as well. But that should be, right, counterbalanced weight against the, the fun factor if 
I'm going to use Vax, Vaxeldon Go. as an example. Half-elf, rogue. Classic. Classic. He's edgy, edgy rogue. He was, he was dark, he was mysterious, he stabbed shit. He dagger, dagger, dagger. Um, we all, action, we get action, it. bonus action, action surge, dagger, Haste. dagger, dagger. We, we, we get it. Everybody gets it, he gets it, we get it. Easy. But if you had a player at your table next to you being that guy, would you enjoy it? I mean, would I enjoy it? Yes, that would be wonderful. I would, I would greatly really? enjoy that. Really? Yes, yes, it'd be a great change of pace. You would enjoy an edge lord, rogue, min maxer, meta gamer next to you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, honestly, okay, some of listen. like I would, I would enjoy the interaction because if they were actually doing that. In the way that Vax does, Vax does it for reasons. Like, there is, you know, 115 episodes of the reasons that he is the way that he is. Like, we've seen that. If you wa if you look back and you watch the earlier episodes, he was a bit of a jokester. He, he liked to have fun with the crew. Like, yeah, he was sneaky and stealthy and stabby, stabby, stabby. But he'd play pranks on people. He and Grog would go back and forth. He and Scanlan would trade barbs. He would fuck with his sister all the time. I mean... There were reasons and things that happened throughout the story that made him as edgy as he was to the point where he literally he was an undead character. So I guess that's part of the reason he had less emotion than normal. But there was always reason behind it and a build up to it. I would love to get that next to me. Interesting. All right. The, the opposite. You have no, Grog was a Goliath, but a big bulky barbarian next to you. Mm-hmm. It's easy to interact with them because you have an expectation. Is it fun? I hope so, because I'm currently playing a big dumb barbarian uh, in my Monday group. So I hope they're enjoying it. But I try to keep it... I mean, I try to keep it as interesting as possible. Like, you know, I, I, I use it more, I'd say, as comedic relief. He's definitely not always a serious character, but he has serious moments. Like last night when we played... Uh, I, I had a very, like, I, I, I was actually as a person on the verge of tears with what I was trying to drive home with my character and the emotional impact I was trying to drive home. And I think that's the great thing is that when that stereotypical creature, me, a, a, uh, almost like a werebear type creature, barbarian, this large hulking mad figure breaks down and has an emotional moment. I feel like that almost has more impact. I feel like when that stereotype suddenly breaks for even a moment, that's when true character development happens. And that's why I bring up The Breakfast Club. Breaking the stereotypes is what makes the movie interesting. Yes, so, exactly. So I would, I would say point, that yeah. having the stereotypes and playing into stereotypes is good, but not all the time. So I would just summarize and say that it's a, it should be... It should only function this way as a starting point. Yes. If I do 20 levels, level 1 to 20, as a stereotype, it's going to be less fun. Yes. It's functional. Sure, it's functional, mm -hmm. but it's less fun. Yes. So it should be, if you're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to be a, I'm gonna be a, a, ha a halfling rogue, assassin, edgelord. Okay, great. But, you know, start to, start to develop a little bit as you yeah. go here. Make Maybe you go darker. Maybe, like, sure, become suddenly, a fucking serial killer. 
yeah, maybe suddenly life doesn't matter anymore, and you start doing some fucked up shit. You just become a nihilist. Um, uh, what's the who's the English serial killer? Jack the Ripper. You yeah. H.H. Holmes. Kill four people and everybody gets H.H. Holmes. Now that's a serial killer right there. Yeah. You read? Did you read The Devil in the White City? No. Oh my God. Did I read something? You silly man. It's a great book. Of course like, it is. Le- it's like legitimately a great book. I can't tell you how many books people said this is great. I'm like, I'm sure it is. I, I, I'm sure that it is an incredible book. I cannot read 10 pages of anything, anything Have without you falling listening asleep. to books? I do. I listen to many audiobooks. Listen to The Devil audio, in the White City. If there's an audiobook of it that's done well, um, I like, I go to, uh, Horror Babble for a lot of my audiobooks. They do a lot of Lovecraft and other similar uh, horror well, stories. They, this, they do a great job with reading it. This is my book recommendation of the week to everybody who's listening. Devil in the White City is a uh, historical recounting of H.H. H. Holmes killing in Chicago around the, the turn of the World's Fair. Yep. And the historical recounting of the construction of the World's Fair and like the historical significance of that and the struggles of that and the, the actual like architecture of that. So sort of two stories. One is, you know, these guys trying to build this incredible thing. And the other is this guy who's taking advantage of that and murdering people. My um, movie based on a book recommendation of the week uh, is the color out of space. Uh, they actually did an excellent job. The Nick Cage movie. Yes. It was good. They actually did an incredible job trying to capture something that is, so unimaginable yeah exactly that, that was i was just in this conversation recently about the the whole lovecraft thing is it's supposed to be unimaginable horror yes and that's why movies are so unsuccessful at it and that's typically where they fail so hard is that you try to personify or or create something that's not creatable they did an excellent job i thought they did just an absolute wonderful job and honestly nick cage you know, great is he a great actor that makes bad movies or a bad actor <laughs> that makes great movies? In this one, he was the perfect role at the perfect time. Good community reference right there. Yes. Um, I I, I do like Nick Cage honestly. Uh, I think. I, did you watch Mom and Dad? No. Have you watched Mandy? I've heard Mandy's amazing. Haven't watched Mandy. I it we watched is, Mom and Dad. Mom and Dad's fantastic. Like if you like Mandy, you will love The Color Out of Space. Okay. It's, it's an similar. On, on Hulu. What's it on? Uh, Color Space, I think, is no, coming to Mandy. Hulu. Mandy, I, I, the only streaming service I know it's on is Shudder. Other than that, I don't think Fuck it's on. Is Shutter. Shudder's Netflix, but for only horror movies. Oh, Jesus. Okay. It's great. It's it's wonderful. If you love horror okay. movies, Shudder's terrific. I mean, they I, just... Unless it's October, it I'm not really into horror movies. Well, then you're doing it wrong. Whoop, whoop, whoop. All right. Um, any back. other thoughts? Um, um, again, uh, I think, especially for... Newer players, don't be afraid to say, you know, this is a stereotypical character, but grow. I think that whether you're playing into stereotypes or against them, grow. Become your own character. See, that's the real pro tip. Start off as a wacky character, develop into a stereotype. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back. Snippity snap, clippity clap, we back. We back. You just did it. He did it. He did it, everybody. He did it. He's in charge now. You're the host. Take over. Greetings, everyone. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know you can do better than that. No. Um, Haven't you started your voice acting career yet? No, no. Um, yeah, working on somebody, a demo reel? Somebody else actually, oh God, I don't remember who it was. Somebody else uh, on some video call. I've done so many video calls recently. I don't remember who I've seen. I don't remember. But at some point, somebody said, Till, remember this was a family video call. And they're like, Till, when you read that passage at, it's my cousin, I won't say their name, my cousin's wedding, your voice was beautiful and booming. Have you ever thought about doing something with that? And I'm like, uh, you know, I have. I have indeed thought about doing something with that. But will I? I'm a little old for it now. You know, I probably should have started long ago. It's not too late to get into Never you know, too commercials late. or something. No, it's not. But at the same time, like, if anything, that would be a hobby. But it's a hobby that I would have to do during my day job hours. No, it's not. Or what are you talking I, about? Uh, recording voiceover work can happen any time of the day. Two in the morning. Done. Get my sultry late night's voice on. Yeah, and uh, the only pro as long as you have your studio set up in your house, that's the important part. If you're going yes. into a studio, okay, so, then you're so, fucked. Okay, so maybe when I buy a house and I have a room that I can dedicate to making a studio, I will so get out there. So not even really a room. I just saw a great image on Reddit last weekish of this guy who set up his wife's voice recording booth because she does voiceover stuff, mm -hmm. but she's there in isolation. He basically took a box. And like built it so she would kind of stick her head into it, and it's lined with oh. soundproof foam all around oh, with a microphone in the middle, right? And it would be is like nearly perfect. So yeah, you don't even need a room really. You just need like a box. <laughs> I would want a room. Yeah, a room is best because yeah, then you you're not you're not you don't have your head in the box. You know? Yes. Yes. I want that but... that soundless room that's in uh, Norway or wherever it is. Oh, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. The one where, like, it's, like, negative decibels. Yeah. Yeah, like, no matter what you do in there, like, it can't, yeah, you can't it, hear it. it what, what's, you, you, what's, the, like, what's the room made of? I can't remember. It's, it's, I just looked at it today. It's got all this crazy sound insulation stuff, but you, like, hear your blood rushing through your veins. Um, quietest room on Earth. Let's see. That's uh, like being in a sensory deprivation tank. I can't stand that shit. It's Ugh. at, it's at... Get the fuck out of here. Um, Orfield Laboratories. Oh, it's in Minnesota. It's in America. Oh. Um, and it's it, it registers at a negative 9.4 decibels. Uh. It's so silent. That's the background noise. Like companies test out acoustics there and NASA sends stuff there. But supposedly you can hear like your blood rushing through your veins in the room. Have you ever done a sensory deprivation tank? No, sir. It is the freakiest experience, in my opinion. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Huh. Hate it. Yeah? Yeah. You, couldn't, you didn't use your telepathic powers to locate a missing child? No, I did not. <laughs> should heroes be allowed to have telepathic powers to start? Uh, no, psionics should not exist. But what about the various races that have them? You know, you in our current campaign are a... That's a um, class feature, not a racial feature. What? It's a class feature. Is it? Awake, awakened Mind, Warlock, yeah. No, um, I was going to go, you're, you're able to change forms. Oh, yes, that, yes. I'm sorry. I, I, in every campaign in the future, I'm banning that. You're not allowed to do that. 
I don't it's, abuse it. It's, it's, I try. No, you don't. You don't. But it limits me as a DM. Like, oh, I can't. I can't do X, Y, and Z. I literally can't pursue you. I mean, I, I I try to stay very dedicated. Like, I may change minor features about myself, like hair color or something. Like I did that a couple you're, times. You, so you're a changeling, for those of you. But yes, I, I'm a changeling. But I try to. I, I have three distinct personalities that I am very dedicated to. Like, I don't just become other things for the fuck of it. Yeah, but if if you discovered you were being hunted, change done. I'm no longer that person. I Good to go. don't uh, honestly, and from and we'll this obviously we'll see in time. But I don't think I would. I think that I would become the battle character personality just more often. I would be more prepared for combat. Right. I wouldn't change into a whole new person. Like that would require me to become a different personality. And I don't know if my psyche could handle that. This is the main reason I don't use doppelgangers as bad guys often. Ah. It's, it's very, very hard to, to like legitimize the power of a doppelganger and have the party be able to hunt them down. Yes. There's, there is one surefire way to find out if someone is a doppelganger. Do you know what it is? What is it? Moonbeam? Ask them, ask them to take off their clothes. Ooh. Their clothes are part of their body. Ooh. Like, you say, take off your boot, and they can't do it. They are a doppelganger. Interesting. Right? But if I, if there's a serial killer going around who is a doppelganger, in theory, if a smart doppelganger, there's no way that the party would be able to, like, catch them. Catch them, unless they saw someone in the action, followed the footsteps. Like, there's no way they'd be able to catch them. Right? Yeah. You'd have to literally hold person them as soon as you saw them and right. then kill them. So, with, with that power you have, it, not that I'm, I, I tried to do a short storyline of that early on. I'm like, oh, well, there's this person who looks like you who's being yes. accused of these crimes. You're like, nope, I'm just changing my appearance. I immediately just abandoned that. I'm not going to pursue that because it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, I fuck it. So, exotic races, fuck them, right? Yes. So, and, and that this, this goes right into it. Uh, I wanted right to Right into it, like eight minutes. <laughs> right into it. Um, I want to talk about monstrous exotic races and languages. And no. <laughs> and how to fit them into a campaign. Uh, the example I gave, and I think it's a great place to start, you walk into a bar and just start speaking abyssal. That's Everybody wets their fucking pants. Yeah, because abyssal is a very terrifying language to hear. It's not quite the language of Mordor, but it's there. Yeah, it's, it's a horrifying thing to hear. And any religious person would assume that there's some sort of horrible demon in a bar and might right. go get a local priest or paladin to exercise said demon. Right. It's like um, deep speech or, yeah. or, or um, parcel tongue and Harry Potter. Where everybody looks at you like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? Talking to e snakes. Exactly. So how do you as a DM account for that? How do you Easy. deal with that? I actually didn't do that this time, but it's super, super easy. Are you ready? Go. When you make your character on page 123 of the first handbook, your race indicates the languages your character can speak by default, and your background might give you access to one or more additional languages of your choice. Choose your languages from the standard languages table. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, with your mm -hmm. DM's permission, you can choose exotic languages. So if I don't want to deal with that, I say you can't speak that language. I don't know if any of us speak anything exotic. No, I, I think maybe one or two of you has something, but normally that's a very ignored rule. Yes. You yes. can only have standard languages, and standard languages are common, dwarvish, elvish, 
giant gnomish goblin halfling orc. Not draconic? No. Interesting. Exotic languages. Abyssal, celestial, draconic, deep speech, infernal, primordial, sylvan, undercommon. Interesting. Well, see, that actually makes it more of a value to play a tiefling and a dragonborn, which are player handbook races, because they get exotic languages. That's interesting. Yes, the exotic language, and this is this is where I come to the conversation as it's a function of a, it's a storytelling function, right? Um, I, I can, honestly, in my campaigns, all I have to do is make somebody writing or talking in Dwarvish, and you're all fucked anyways. Nobody ever takes it. Or like no one ever does Dwarvish. Or like one person does, right? That's very accurate. That's very accurate. Um, which is stupid. You should all know by now. Um, but the exotic languages, they are, generally speaking, only there for flavor. Um, and for very, very niche circumstances. Because, mm. so, Draconic aside, because that is, you know, Dragonborn speak it. But, like, say you, say I said, fine, yeah, you can pick an exotic language, and you picked Primordial. Yep. Great, you can speak with Elementals. Cool. How often is that going to come up? Well, luckily, this campaign takes place on the elemental plane of air. Right, so. Unless you're playing Princes of the Apocalypse or Temple of Elemental Evil or something like that that has a lot of elementals, chances are your encounters elementals or elemental adjacent people are going to be low. You know, I think Genasi might speak Primordial or might have that as part of their thing. Uh, I think they might have the option to, but I don't know if they do outright. Let me look it up right now. Um, can I even look at this? Do I have the fucking thing? I do languages. Yep, you can speak, read, and write common and primordial. There you go. Nailed it! Um, so, so the exotic language, it only serves a very limited function, so it, as a DM and as a player, you have to really come up with a reason to make use of it if you're even going to bother. Yes, yes. Are, like, and are you going to bother? You know? You know, and what is the purpose that it serves? And I think this goes into more so exotic and monstrous races. You know, it's one thing to have a human walk in and start speaking something weird. Hold on. You might be able to, you know, just explain, you know, that that's just, I was, you know, I learned this. I picked this up along the way. I'm a bard. Well, I know many gibberish. things. I wasn't actually saying anything. Yeah. But if an actual, you know, bugbear walks into a bar, uh, what just happened? Are we, are we all killing this bar. thing? <laughs> so this is, I've been having a, I've been struggling with this in our current campaign. Yeah. And I've talked to you about it. And sorry, uh, those of you who are in our party who listen to this. Um, our current campaign takes place like 150 years after the last campaign of the same world, and hard times hit, and like exotic races, non-human, non-halfling races, kind of receded into the background. They went to their ancestral homes underground into the woods. They're really not a part of everyday life anymore. If you see an elf, it's like holy shit! Whoa, it's holy shit! I'm never gonna see another elf in my entire life. You'll probably tell your grandkids, "I saw an elf one time." And that'll be like a story that's amazing. Um, so I told you that at the beginning. Everybody makes their part, their players. We have two humans. We have a shifter. And we have a goliath. You, a changeling. And we have a goliath. Yes. So the shifter is notably off, right? He's hairy. He looks kind of feral. People are freaked out by him. The goliath, super obvious. Mm -hmm. Essentially a, a half giant, basically. Yes. So when you guys would walk into a place, people would react hostily to the half giant, to the to the Goliath, like, oh my god, he's a monster. Which I'm, I'm, and I'm sorry to do this to you, I'm directly drawing inspiration from that from the Wheel of Time. 
Because... Ah, see, I feel like you missed a real time chance last episode. I'm pretty sure that it didn't come up. So what? What? I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that this was due. I feel. I feel okay about this. Oh, one. okay. The because the the ogre race in the wheel of time they are big nasty looking kind of weird things but they're super friendly ancestrally magical love everybody calm it's like a, it's quiet like furbolg is literally drawn from the ogre um but at the same time in the world there are things called dark spawn and they're called trollocs and trollocs are big bulky things but they're monstrous they have they have horns and spiked heads and they're nasty so when people see an ogre who don't know what it is, like, oh my god, that's Darkspawn, that's a Trolloc, and they attack it hostily. Or, if they know what it is, they go, oh my god, this is such an honor to meet an ogre, right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm kind of pulling from those two reactions. Now, I have had the misfortune of our Goliath, Doctor, doesn't really care. <laughs> His run reaction is, fight me, I'll fight you back. Which, and I've got to be honest, and if he listens to this, you know, here's me telling you, I don't think that's particularly exciting, so I'm, I've kind of stopped doing it. Like, people are just going to react to you as they are. So, my, to answer your initial question of, you know, the function of exotic races in a world, it only matters if your players make it matter. You can't for, like, no matter how crazy it is, like, they could be a, you know, literal fire ganasi that's on fire all the time but if you if, don't if they go into a shop and the guy goes we don't serve your kind here and they refuse and they're just obstinate like no you're gonna serve me then you're you're just undermining the story value of how exotic you are mm -hmm. and how exotic you are like that's that should be something super cool you should really enjoy being rare i think there's an entire background the far traveler far traveler no, yeah far traveler who's you stand out that's, That's your purpose. Thing. Doesn't and mean you're you gonna be treated well, but you are unique. People are gonna notice you. You people aren't gonna forget you. You when you leave a town behind, they're gonna talk about you, and someone's gonna go, "Hey, did you guys ever see a Goliath?" Like, yeah, we saw a Goliath. Mm -hmm. He was here six days ago. They went that way. His name was this. He bought these things because everybody's paying attention to you because you stand out. Mm -hmm. Now, I think in a traditional D and D campaign, exotic races serve that function. So I, I've kind of pushed it the you know up to the, the the game a little bit in ours but in a traditional campaign you know tritons yanti purebloods um T, uh azimar uh what else what am i what am i not thinking of what other what other exact goliath really i mean jesus there's there's tons of especially if you include like all of the ebron races you know the war oh, i would never do that and I'm or if you include the ravnica races like the simic hybrids and the Aracocra. yeah Kanku yeah. and, and monstrous races like kobolds and hobgoblins and such. If you are leading a traditional D and D campaign and a turtle is a a player character is a turtle, mm -hmm. they should get a lot of attention from people. Like holy shit, yeah. Honestly, in any campaign, like you a turtle shows, I'm like, oh, cool, okay. I I gotta tell you, I'm at the Critical Role campaign too when the turtle's the navigator for the mistake, the boat. Uh -huh. Yes. I, I hate it. No, you can't hate Orly. I hate it. You can't. It's, it's so. It's so dumb. Ah. Oh. I I know I'm I know I'm unique in that. I really just I don't find it entertaining. I don't find it fun. Oh, I enjoy uh, Orly. I don't know. I don't know why. I I think it's just I think it's just you know stuck in my craw for some reason. I can't really place it. But the function of exotic races. 
is to be exotic. They should stand out. They should be significant in some way, and the world should react to them in that way. Um, Memorable, like, I think, is the perfect term. If Shaq walked into a bar, yeah, right, that that's the same thing. Like everyone's going to talk you know, about. No, oh, you know know Shaq's super famous, but someone who's kind of famous but not as famous. Who's the guy that played the mounds in a Game of Thrones? Uh, Thor Bjornsson. Bjornsson or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, his last name is Bjornsson. It's like half born Julius Bjornsson. Yeah. You, you, you and me might recognize him, but you know, not a lot of people recognize his face. But you'd see this absolutely enormous human being. Unit of a person, yeah. Everyone would stop and stare. Somebody might want to fight him. Somebody might be terrified of him. But they would be like, it would be like, it'll be like there's a river flowing and you threw a big rock into it. You just totally disrupted the flow of whatever was happening. That's a right? great example, actually. And I really feel like that's. I want. I just want your your players to to care about that. And if they don't care about it, there's no reason to do it. Right? I agree. I agree. I, it's a, It's a, It can be a huge letdown. It can be a huge letdown. So, what's like not just for your campaign or for for any specific campaign what advice do you give to players and dms to try and make that more of a thing and to make that more uh impactful it's easier for npcs because if you make the npc races rarer right like for example in our campaign you've only encountered human beings yes and one cyclops yes and you saw the cyclops everybody's like fuck this like there was there was a legitimate reaction of okay no there's no way we can handle that that's deadly we'll deal with we'll, we're not going to deal with that um but the moment i introduce you somebody who's a different race you are all going to perk up and be like no shit okay cool but it's much harder for players because they don't want it to impact the function of the game mhm mm so that's kind of the line you don't you don't want it to impact the function of the game so where where's the balance there um you know you have two players one's a human One's a bugbear. I'll we'll just use the bugbear example again. They both go into the store to buy a sword, and one of them can succeed, and the other one can't. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to rectify that situation in a way that's fun. Or literally, the same item could be sold at a crazy markup because who sells right. shit to bugbears? And that that on its face value feels bad, man. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to rectify that in a way that players are interested in. Um, and what does that look like? It kind of depends on you and your players or whatever. But if your your bugbear is pissed, like, oh, my God, I can't buy a sword. This sucks. Almost immediately when he walks out of the store, he should find a shady guy in the alley next door. Like, hey, man, I'll sell you a sword. Like, <laughs> you, should, you should rectify it immediately. Immediately mm -hmm. um, for players. So it's really kind of hard. It, if you were going to care about it, it's hard. Yes. I can understand so, that. I, that would be that would be my advice is really don't do it, but <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna do it, be careful. And, and everybody wants it, to be an exotic character, and nobody and, wants the consequences. And if you're gonna do it, own it. Yeah, I, that's the message to players. If you're gonna do it, own it. But all you do is go on Twitter and like, here's my character. They're a era coker, a half tiefling, half minotaur who's got tattoos on their face and is blue, and everybody loves them. It's like fuck you. Nobody loves you, but you don't. But everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to make the 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 pretty orc librarian like no one would accept that. 
No one would accept that that's a thing. But you just want to be loved. I don't think I've seen that one yet, but... Oh, literally? Okay. That. I can, I literally just saw a tweet about this yesterday. My my orc's a barbarian who wears glasses and is also strong. Literally saw that yesterday. It's like, everybody wants the cool thing, but nobody wants the consequences. So this is just be me mad. That's the back half of the show today is me being mad. Well, no, I mean, but that that's fair. Um, And I actually, that's a perfect statement is you want to be the cool, unique thing. But when it comes to normal interactions, you don't want to be the cool, unique thing. You want to be treated like kid as a teenager, right? Yeah. And I, I wore all black and like had mm-hmm. some colored hair and like spiked jewelry and things like that. And you, you were going for a look. So you accepted that when you went into places, people looked at you weird and like followed you around. <laughs> like <laughs> that was just that was part of it. So you have to like you have to accept the consequences and kind of not care or like lean into it and like be a dick because they're doing that to you. Like it was part of it. So I just really want this. I guess this this segment is for players. If you're gonna be an exotic race, yeah, what you said, own it. Do something. Don't just don't just want to be the cool thing and get all the good shit. You have to take the good with the bad. Yes, yes. Don't don't expect to be treated the same as everyone else because you're not. You're unique. No, you're not. You're fucking weird. If you're an air, if you're a Kenku walking around and you can't put two words together that don't sound exactly the same and you're making noises instead of saying words, I'm sorry. That tavern wench might not want to serve you right away. Or at all. Or at all. We don't serve your kind here. Yeah. All right. Sorry about all the rants, people. That is literally what we we start by saying that this is our show about arguing and ranting and such. I mean, this is I think they're used to it at this point. If they're still listening, a, they're used to it. I need a drink of water. I'm parched. Water. <laughs> We didn't learn. Hey, man, today today marks like 121 days without drinking alcohol. Ah, yeah. Today marks about five minutes. 19 hours. There we go. And you're about to go probably have a drink right now. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. We didn't learn to solve anything. Of course not. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate the show wherever you found it. Follow us on Twitter at RDBD Podcast, and feel free to send us topics you want to hear about or your D and D rants at RDBD Podcast. We love hearing from you guys. We will always respond. You know, yeah, I respond very nicely to emails, even angry emails that we get. I'm super nice, which is weird because he is not that in person. This is him playing no. against type. It's wonderful. Yeah. You know, I'm very good at email. He's very professional. Um, very professional. I'm very, I think I'm very professional. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we will see you next time. Till then. <laughs>